Welcome to the Heart of a Friend, and I'm Andy Weigand. This is episode 47, and I'm in a series called What's on My Bookshelf. In the next three episodes, I'll review Kyle Harper's Plagues Upon the Earth, Disease and the Course of Human History. It was published in 2021, and though it's academically rigorous, it's also highly readable. Because it's a long book with big implications, I think it's worth parking here for some extra time. So this review will be split into three episodes. I'm reminded of the words of John in the book of Revelation, quote, And I looked, and behold, there was a pale horse. The horseman on it was named Death, and Hades was following after him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth, end quote. So I'm calling this three-part series the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. As we shall see, this horse and rider began their grim work long, long ago. This book is a comprehensive history of human disease, beginning with our hunter-gatherer ancestors. It is meticulously researched. Kyle Harper is a professor of classics and letters at the University of Oklahoma. His book, however, reflects an interdisciplinary approach and an impressive intellectual ability to span the vast research across many different disciplines, medical science, economic, political, and social history, paleogenetics, environmental science, and others. The result is a sweeping but careful and nuanced masterpiece. He explains how disease has played a major role in the ebb and flow of human history. He also explains how human progress has created new opportunities for diseases to emerge. The book is timely, of course, and it's also a warning. The great escape from the deadly disease pool of our ancestors is a very recent development. It's the only thing that makes modern life possible. But our current dominance over infectious diseases is extraordinarily fragile. Without continued vigilance and support for the factors that contributed to the great escape, we may be doomed to relive the horrors of the past. I'll do my best to share some of the content of the book in these three episodes. I apologize for geeking out a bit on this stuff, but I found it extremely interesting and important stuff to know. I hope you will too. I thought it might be fun to structure this first episode in the form of a little quiz. Don't worry, it's not for a grade. So seven questions. I'll talk about each question and the answers as we go along. Here's the first question. Throughout most of human history, infectious diseases were the cause of at least 50% or more of all deaths. At the beginning of what century was this no longer the case? A. 1500 B. 1700 C. 1900 and D. 2000 Well, the correct answer is 1900. This was one of the more shocking facts in this book for me. I had no idea how recently we emerged from the dark ages of disease. Here's how Harper puts it, quote, 
Up to around 1700, life on earth was short and full of sorrow. Life expectancy was below 30 years. Most people died of infectious diseases. Around 1900, a great threshold was crossed for the first time in the history of our species. Non-infectious causes of death accounted for a greater portion of total mortality than did infectious diseases. By mid-century, dying of infectious disease had become anomalous, virtually scandalous in the developed world. The control of infectious disease is one of the unambiguously great accomplishments of our species. End quote. So, before the beginning of the 20th century, the most likely cause of death for you and me would have been an infectious disease. Cholera, bubonic plague, influenza, yellow fever, malaria, smallpox, tuberculosis, typhus, measles, scarlet fever, diphtheria, and so on. Think of it this way. My wife and I have six kids. Three are married with spouses, and there are seven grandchildren, so there's a total of 16 in our immediate family. Now, transport us back to any century before the 20th. Statistically, one half or more of us will have life cut short by infectious disease. At least two or three of our children and grandchildren would not have survived the gauntlet of childhood diseases. Others of us would have been taken by various other killers. Two or three days of suffering with the plague or years of slowly dying of tuberculosis, the so-called wasting disease. Smallpox or cholera, dreaded diseases of the 18th and 19th centuries. We'd have been defenseless against the horrors of invisible, unpredictable, and ruthless microbial enemies, what Psalm 90 in the Bible calls the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Now imagine living with the fear of not knowing who your invisible enemy might strike next. Imagine the torment and agonizing grief of watching loved ones die in the prime of life. Nowadays, this is a rare and gut-wrenching exception. But I think it's important not to forget what our ancestors lived through. This is part of the value of this book. It, it helps give some context or perspective to events like the recent pandemic. I mean, regardless of recent events, I know I am profoundly grateful for the privilege of living in the present generation. From a health and disease perspective, we are the luckiest generation in human history. And a quick word about averages and life expectancy. Har Harper says 30 years average. I, I think it's important not to misunderstand what this means. This does not mean that, for instance, Ben Franklin, who lived to 84 years of age, was a ridiculously old man for his time. People who survived the gauntlet of childbirth and diseases of childhood and adulthood could be expected to live to 70 or 80 years, just like today. Average life expectancy numbers for the past are lowered by so many who died at six months, ages two, three, eight, twelve. So more premature deaths bring the average way down. It's not that people today are living a lot longer. It's just that more of us are survivors. Well, question two. 
Given our recent victories over infectious diseases, why are we now at risk of regressing? What factors might return us to the dark ages of disease and dying? A. Germs evolve quickly into stronger, more lethal forms, evading our defenses. B. Eroding levels of trust in government and medical science. C. Reluctance to face the implications of global climate change. D. Politicization of public health care measures. And E. All of the above. Well, well the answer is, is all of the above. All these factors put us at risk of losing our dominance over infectious diseases. They all may contribute one day to a return to the dark ages of disease and premature death. Germs evolve. Harper warns us, quote, We do not and cannot live in a state of permanent victory over our germs. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberation from infectious disease. In short, germs evolve, and human mastery is always, therefore, incomplete. End quote. Today, there's eroding trust in medical science and government intervention. This puts us at risk. This poses a serious threat to our continuing ability to combat outbreaks of old and new diseases. And the politicalization of public health care measures has undermined popular acceptance and cooperation. Quarantines and vaccine mandates, for instance. People before the Great Escape were desperate for help. They were dying like flies. Nowadays, lots of people resist these kinds of measures. This puts our society at greater risk. And then there's climate change. And regardless of your view about the causes of it, the climate is changing. This changes the global ecology for disease. It's complex, but for just one example, a warming planet increases the range of the bugs that carry disease. Mosquitoes, ticks, and other disease-carrying parasites. The incidence of dengue fever has increased 30-fold in the last 50 years, and Lyme disease has doubled in the last 10. This puts us at greater risk as well. So the answer to the question, why are we now at risk, is all of the above. They're all factors putting us at risk of returning to the dark ages of disease. This book is timely, and it's crucially important for us to pay attention to the message. We need to know how we climbed out of the ancient and horrifying disease pool of our ancestors. Or we may be doomed to relive it. Question 3. From the beginning of human history, which infectious diseases have claimed the most lives? A. Worms B. Bubonic plague C. Malaria D. Tuberculosis or E. Diarrhea I'll give you a minute to think about that one and be back in just a few moments. So question three, 
From the beginning of human history, which infectious diseases have claimed the most lives? Worms, bubonic plague, malaria, tuberculosis, or diarrhea? The answer to this question is a bit elusive. We don't have accurate records for much of our past, but Harper calls malaria, quote, the deadliest of the human infectious diseases. No other affliction has exerted such influence on the species. It is the mother of fevers, the king of diseases. It continues to devastate human societies, unfortunate enough to remain under its spell, end quote. Of course, the mosquito, a vampire with wings, is the carrier for this disease and many others. Malaria was a problem for our hunter-gatherer ancestors long before the agricultural revolution. Did you ever wonder why God created the mosquito? I know I have. But then I was a little confused when I read later in the book about tuberculosis. Here's what Harper says about this infectious disease, quote, the burden of this disease on human health in the past and present is staggering. Today, there may be 2 billion humans latently infected. So more than a quarter of humanity could be carrying the pathogen. There are more than 10 million new cases annually, and TB still takes 1.5 million lives each year. TB may be in aggregate, the most lethal enemy our species has ever encountered. End quote. Tuberculosis is transmitted by one victim coughing and the droplet is inhaled by the next victim, so that close quarters of big city populations play right into the hands of this disease. Quote, In modern Europe, it was the White Plague. A medical text of 1848 called it the destroying angel who claims a fourth of all who die. End quote. Wow. One out of every four of every person who died. So if you're keeping your score on this little quiz, you can take credit for either answer, malaria or tuberculosis. Although the numbers for the other diseases, worms, plague, and diarrhea are huge, they apparently pale in comparison to the cumulative totals for these two. Well, question four. When people began farming, it improved human health. True or false? This is false. This seemed a bit counterintuitive to me, but Harper explains, quote, As farming spread, human numbers soared and the result has been a virtually unceasing acceleration of parasite evolution. There is universal agreement that farming was an unmitigated disaster for human health. Humans sought more calories and came away with less nutritional variety, harder work, and more germs." End quote. So the so-called agricultural revolution was a bust for human health. Because food could be stored, small villages and towns with walls for protection developed, but living closer together meant diseases could be spread more easily. Infectious diseases love crowds. Farming also meant 
people living more closely with domesticated animals. And these animals were the source of new diseases. Animal pathogens evolved into human pathogens. In addition, unmanaged animal and human waste created an ideal breeding ground for the spread of diseases. So farming helped create the perfect environment for the growth of crowd diseases, such as measles, smallpox, tuberculosis, cholera, typhoid, and plague. Well, question five. Up until the 20th century, there was an urban penalty. It was more unhealthy to live in the city than in the country. Which of the following did not contribute to the eventual improvement of life expectancy in the city? A. Public water and sewer systems. B. Enforcement of better building codes. C. Improved means of transportation. And D. Education about better hygiene. Well, the correct answer is C. Improved means of transportation. Throughout our history, living in the country has always been healthier than living in the city. Harper calls this the urban penalty. This didn't change until the early 20th century, thanks to public health reform. Changes implemented slowly over time turned the tide toward better health in the city. Investments in public water systems, better sewers, sturdier and better ventilated housing, and movements to educate people about sanitation, hygiene, and other measures made a huge difference. For the first time in history, people living in the cities of developed countries began living longer than people who lived in the country. What does not belong on this list is improved means of transportation. In fact, the faster we learn to travel, the faster diseases could spread. The bugs that kill us are skilled at hitchhiking. The age of railroads and steamships brought the word pandemic into widespread use. Consensus is that the devastating cholera epidemic of the 19th century originated somewhere in the Ganges Delta in India. However, as Harper says, quote, this parasite cunningly took advantage of the age of steamships and railroads and quickly made its way around the world, end quote. Likewise, with the great influenza of 1918 to 1919, quote, the pandemic of 1918 and 1919 was the ultimate manifestation of a disease event in the age of steamships and railroads. It was, in absolute terms, one of the single most deadly events in global history, claiming the lives of maybe 50 million victims, end quote. And remember how quickly COVID-19 spread throughout the world. Human carriers of the hitchhiking virus could now travel from one side of the globe to another in a matter of hours. And they did. So the effect of improved means of transportation on human health has been devastating. Question six. 
Which of the following pandemics was the most lethal? A. The Antonine Plague in 2nd century Rome. B. The Bubonic Plague in the 1300s, Eurasia and Africa. C. The Columbian Exchange, North, Central, South America after Western Europeans landed. And D. The Great Influenza or the Spanish flu, 1919. If by lethal we mean just the sheer numbers of people who died, then the answer is D, the great influenza, also known as the Spanish flu. The impact of this flu was catastrophic. More died in this pandemic than in World War I. It's hard to be exact with the numbers on this kind of thing, but Harper puts fatalities are at around 50 million. Some experts put the number even higher. But if we think in terms of deaths in proportion to the total population, the answer would be different. For the great influenza, the death toll would be roughly 2.5% of the world population at that time. The Antonine Plague in Rome in the middle of the 2nd century AD took an estimated 7 to 8 million. This would have been around 10% of the population of the empire at that time. Harper calls this, quote, the single most lethal mortality event in human history up to that time. Though it was not the end of the empire, it was arguably the beginning of the end, end quote. And scholars now estimate that the bubonic plague, or Black Death in the Middle Ages, the 1300s, killed roughly 50% of the population in Europe. But it gets even worse after the discovery of the Americas. The death toll is a lot of guesswork, but based on the numbers we do have, scholars estimate that the population crash in the Americas among the indigenous people groups was around 70 to 80 percent. Now, just for the heck of it, let's compare COVID numbers. Roughly 7 million people have died from this recent pandemic. But as a percent of world population, that is less than 1 percent of 1 percent. That number is still horrifying. But as a percentage of global population, it is almost negligible compared to the apocalyptic scale of earlier pandemics. We're talking one hundredth of one percent versus ten percent, fifty percent, seventy to eighty percent. I'm not saying this to minimize the losses that many of us have experienced, but for me, it helps to keep the recent pandemic in historical perspective. Question seven. Modernization has made the battle against infectious diseases easier. True or false? Harper would argue that the statement is false. Our success as a species has actually been a gift to our microbial parasites. Yes, we have gained a measure of dominance over infectious diseases, but germs are opportunists. They outnumber us by magnitudes that are astronomically greater than our own. They reinvent themselves. Germs adapt. For every defensive measure we take, they develop countermeasures. 
They are unrelenting shapeshifters. In fact, quote, modern growth has only made the challenge of controlling infectious disease greater. Urbanization, demographic expansion, modern transportation, and intensified pressure on natural resources have made the ecology of infectious disease progressively more dangerous for humans. End quote. Behind our walls of public health measures, chemical and medical interventions, and hygienic practices, we are still vulnerable. This is one of the dominant themes of this book. With every human innovation, with every advance in civilization, most old diseases have managed to persist and new ones have emerged. They take advantage of our transportation systems, our crowded cities, our systems of industrial-scale farming and livestock raising. They find ways around our antibiotics and chemicals. To use one of Harper's reminders, quote, it's a microbes world. We are just living in it. End quote. If there's ever a truce in this battle, it's temporary. Though his book was begun years before the COVID-19 crisis, he comments on it at the end. Quote, we do not and cannot live in a state of permanent victory over our germs. Prophets have continually forewarned us that new diseases were one of the most fundamental risks we face as a species. And now, the COVID-19 pandemic makes it all too evident that their alarms were both prescient and unheeded. We were, in short, complacent. For scholars who study the past or present of infectious disease, the pandemic was a perfectly inevitable disaster. We can never entirely escape the risk of global pandemics. End quote. Well, as we've explored these seven questions, I hope you've gained a few insights. In the next episode, we'll look in more detail at three of the worst case scenarios from the past, epidemics of disease that were nothing short of apocalyptic in scale the fourth horseman of the apocalypse on steroids. Understanding a bit more about what our ancestors went through will help put our present into better perspective. The third episode will look in more detail at some of the solutions that have emerged over the past few centuries. The reasons we can now expect, thankfully, to live longer lives. As Harper says, quote, we still have much to learn from the experience of those who lived and died before us. It is urgent that we do so. End quote. Well, thanks for listening, and I'll be back with the next episode soon as we continue our review of Kyle Harper's Plagues Upon the Earth. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and as always, some notes are available at the end of this and every episode. This episode is shared with you in the hope that we can do better at taking care of ourselves, one another, and our planet. We have to. We are destined for more than what we've become. This is from the heart of a friend.